Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Father, what a glorious morning. Thank you for the beautiful singing of the singing women of Texas. We are so blessed to have had them in this room this morning. Thank you for the obvious joy that they have as they lift their voices in praise to you. And thank you for the sweet, precious, beautiful way that they have led us this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege of worship, the gathering of God's people. We love being in this place. I pray that you have been pleased with our offering of worship and that now you will continue to speak to our hearts as we dig into your word, that we will sense your continuing power and presence right here in this place. Father, thank you for a great week in Bible school. Thank you for youth camp. Bless our youth that this will be a great spiritual experience for them. Father, thank you for our mission teams. Bring home safely the team traveling back from Moldova. Father, bless the continuing work of the team in East Asia and bless the team that will leave for Taiwan on Friday. Father, we pray that you will use them for your name's honor and glory. And we pray that people will come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Some hearing of Jesus for the very first time because of these teams being obedient to you. So, Father, we know you're in this place. We ask that you bless us and strengthen us and encourage our hearts as we continue our study in the epistle of James. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to James 5. James 5. We continue our our series today in the epistle of James of faith that works. We are on the last chapter So there will be two more messages after this one, and we will be finished for now with the epistle to James. I don't know about you. I don't have any toes left. Uh, James has uh, stomped all over my ten toes, and I I don't know where else he can stomp. Perhaps kick me in the shins. Uh, But James is so direct and so uh, very blunt and words of the Holy Spirit that we need for this hour. Last week, we looked at the latter part of chapter 4, looking to the future, and we found strong words from James about planning without God. Today, an indictment of the rich. Now, you look at the title, and I know already some of you have said, Oh, I can relax. I'm not rich, so this one's not for me. Well, I'm sorry to uh, bust your bubble, but this message is for every single one of us in this room. And in keeping with our tradition, we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, the first six verses of James chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. 
You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Had enough? You may be seated. If only James could learn to say plainly what the Holy Spirit was saying to his heart. These are strong words, no doubt about it. Are they an indictment of all wealthy people? No, no more so than last week was an indictment of planning for the future. But there was a warning last week concerning planning without God, concerning presuming on God, and procrastinating instead of obeying. And we drew a conclusion It's important that we know the will of God and that knowing the will of God, we do the will of God. So is James telling us in this text that wealth is evil? Of course not. We find wealthy people in the Bible, godly wealthy people in the Bible, like Job, Abraham, Nicodemus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, Philemon, and others. Well, who, who is James addressing? Is he addressing Christians or unbelievers? We know the book, the epistle is written to Christians. We settled that the first week. Written to believers who are being persecuted and have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Is he addressing believers? Or is he addressing the rich who do not follow Christ? Well, it seems that he's speaking to the rich who don't know Christ. But then on the other hand, how could that be? Because we know the epistles written to believers. Well, what James has done here is you employ a a theatrical term, apostrophe, that means turning away from the real audience to address another group. It's like I'm preaching to all the believers in this room, but I know there's a small group of unbelievers over here, so I stop and I turn. I'm not looking at you guys, okay? <laughs> and, and, and face this group and speak to them. But what I'm really doing, they're, they're not even there. The lost aren't even there. It's as if I'm speaking to them, but I'm really speaking to the same audience I've been addressing all along. That's what James is doing in this text. So when he offers these stern words and we say, wow, James, that's pretty blunt. Remember, these words are meant to encourage primarily poor believers who are suffering often at the hands of the pagan rich. And so James is saying to them and to us, Jesus is going to judge. So the pagan rich may appear to prosper, but there is a day coming. There is a day coming. And the poor 
Christians who are suffering intensely, well, it will not last forever. And so take the eternal viewpoint and take comfort in words that are sternly spoken. So I want us to look at, I want us to look at five things in the text very quickly and, and get our arms around the five things that James says. And the first is found in verse one, misery is coming. Look again at verse one. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Misery is coming. And in saying that, it is a reminder to believers that the justice of God is coming. It is sure and it is certain. And this reality should enable believers to be patient. That is James' objective. Now, Christians also pay attention from the other perspective. If you remember in chapter 2, James rebuked believers who fawned all over the rich. And here is a warning to rich believers, though they were very few in number, not to neglect the poor. So in verse 1, he says, now listen. Do you remember, if you were here last week, you remember that chapter 4, verse 13 begins also with, now listen. Those words are spoken sternly, and it's James' way of saying, pay attention, pay attention to what I'm saying. This is very important. Listen to these strong words. And he says, weep and wail. And this weeping and wailing does not come from repentance, but it comes from judgment. John Calvin, a theologian, said, and I quote, Repentance has indeed its weeping, but being mixed with consolation, it does not proceed to howling. And the word wailing and howling from the original language can be translated either way, weeping and Howling, weeping, and wailing, they're, they're, they're the same word. Weep. Sob aloud. Bitterly. Wail or howl. An expression of intense grief. And, and the Greek word for this wailing or howling is olozu, olozonte. Oh, I can never say it. Oluzontes. Oh, Luzontis, I'm wailing. Oh, Luzontis, I'm wailing. Oh, Luzontis. It just sounds like it. Sounds like it. Weeping and wailing. It's the only place in the New Testament where that word is used. Only place. It sounds like wailing. So James is saying, pay attention to me. The return of Christ will provoke wailing. The return of Christ will provoke howling among those who reject the Savior. And particularly among the wicked wealthy who have persecuted believers. That's intended to offer encouragement to every believer listening to his words. Now, here's the second thing that I want us to get our arms around. Verses 2 and 3, you have hoarded to no avail. You have hoarded to no avail. Your wealth has rotted, he says. Look again at verse 2. 
Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Wow. You have hoarded to no avail. In the first century, wealth was generally measured by three things. Food, clothing, and gold and silver. Food, clothing, gold and silver. He addresses all three of them. You notice that he says your, your, your food has all rotted. You've got a lot of food stored away. You're rejoicing and you're boasting in what you've done. And guess what? Shock of shocks. You won't be able to eat your food. It's rotted. And then he, and then he says your clothes. You've measured your wealth in your opulent clothing. And guess what? It's moth eaten. No mothballs. It's moth eaten. And then he says your gold and your silver have corroded. I didn't think gold and silver corroded. Yes, they do. Well, exactly. It, it might as well be corroded. That's what James is saying. Your gold that you think will never corrode, your silver that you don't believe will corrode, it might as well corro- have corroded because in the judgment it is worthless to you. So is he saying to us it's wrong to save? Absolutely not. But is he saying to us it's wrong to hoard? Yes. And there is a difference. Richard Swenson said, He is the owner. We are the stewards. God is honored by funnels and dishonored by sponges. Get it? Do I need to say it again? God is honored by funnels and God is dishonored by sponges. Which are you? Be a conduit of his blessing, not a dead end. Now, number three. You have acted unjustly. Look at verse four. Uh, One more time. You have acted. Look. Now, Now, James is really upset here. If you didn't think he was upset the first three verses, he's upset now. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. They worked for you and you promised to pay them and you didn't do it. And James is angry. You have acted unjustly. Hear these graphic words of judgment from Ezekiel. 719. They will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be treated as a thing unclean. Their silver and gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. It will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs for it has caused them to stumble into sin. And then also listen to the words to the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 24, so that it is clear to Israel what they're to do. 
Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. The wealthy here are condemned simply because they have not kept their word and paid those who serve them. And there are the cries of the cheated coming to the ears of the Lord. In that fourth uh, verse, did, did you notice it says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That, that word Almighty, Lord Almighty is Sabaoth. Now, are your, are your, is your memory bank... Sabaoth, Sabaoth, yeah, I got that. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same. From a great hymn that we sing. How are you on your hymnody? What hymn is that? Mighty Fortress is our God, which happens to be my second favorite hymn in all the world. Here's a warning to those who act unjustly. Now, here's the fourth thing. We're going to have two more to go. Number four, you are selfish. Ah, anybody ever said that to you? You're selfish. I don't like being called selfish. But I'm, I'm, I know and if there have been times in my life when it's been true. Here, here's what he said. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Now, every Texan in this room gets it. It's a picture of a cow being fattened before slaughter. Got it, Texans? Got the picture? Of course we've got it. And he's saying to the rich, the unjust, pagan, causers of suffering among believers, you're being fattened for the day of slaughter. No gentleness in the words of James. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity said... Promising fulfillment in money and things and lands and houses and cars and clothes and boats and campers and hot tubs and world travel. Materialism has left us bound and gagged, pathetically thinking what the drug addict thinks, that our only hope is getting more of the same. All the while, the voice of God, so hard to hear through the clatter of our things, tells us that even if materialism did bring happiness in this life, which it clearly does not, it leaves us woefully unprepared for the next. Here is a warning that is clear. Though written to pagans, You know the theatrical term, written to pagans with Christians as the real target, the real listeners, a warning against being selfish. Now, here's the last of the five. You are hurting the godly for no reason. Look at verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Hmm. So James is saying to these pagans, you are hurting godly people for absolutely no reason. He used the word murder. Is he talking about a real murder? I always interpret the scripture literally unless there's a reason not to. And 
perhaps it is a real murder, but understand this, when you deprive the poor of bare necessities of life, then you cause death. And, and James is being very blunt and direct. Now, here, here is the text, because when it comes to all this, I, our mentality as primarily conservative evangelical Christians is that our minds begin to wander and, and we begin to say, well, but, but what, what about the poor? What about this? And what about that? And j- just push it away because we're focusing on the text and the text for us here plainly points us to this. What is your attitude toward wealth stuff? Possessions. We are called to a spirit of justice and generosity and honesty and fairness. And the Holy Spirit has to tell you how to do it. And he will. And he is. He does. So your part is, is my heart right with Jesus? I'm listening. What is the Holy Spirit telling me? And I've heard it loudly and clearly. Now I will obey. And by the way, part of that is I will open my fist. Instead of grasping tightly that which God has entrusted to me. John Piper wrote his famous book. His most famous book, Desiring God. And in it, he refers to an event that happened in 1983. And most of you in this particular service are old enough to remember it vividly. Korean Airlines flight from New York City to Seoul, Korea, strayed in its flight path as it neared Korea, flew over Soviet airspace. And Soviet jets, jets, fighter jets shot down that Korean airline, killing all 269 people on board. Now, I'm not going to go into all the, all that that caused internationally, but here, here's what Piper says in his book. Picture 269 people entering eternity in a plane crash, went down in the Sea of Japan. Before the crash, there is a noted politician, a millionaire corporate executive, a playboy and his playmate, a missionary kid on the way back from visiting grandparents. After the crash, they stand before God, utterly stripped of MasterCards, checkbooks, credit lines, image clothes, how to succeed books, and Hilton reservations. Here are the politician, the executive, the playboy, and the missionary kid all on level ground with nothing, absolutely nothing in their hands, possessing only what they brought in their hearts. How absurd and tragic the lover of money will seem on that day. Like a man who spends his whole life collecting train tickets and in the end is so weighed down by the collection that he misses the last train. What are you to do? What am I to do with this this knowledge? Well, we, we should work hard 
Because that honors God. All of us. Work hard, it honors God. We should be generous. Every one of us, we should be generous. Abundance isn't provision for me to live in luxury, but the provision for me to help others live. Be generous. Thirdly, be honest, men and women of integrity. Fourth, be kind. And fifth, heed the warning of James about what could be a slippery slope to sin in stewardship of your possessions. Let's bow together for prayer. The words of James are so direct and so blunt. It gives us pause to reflect and think and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. So to every believer in this room, remember you are, you are rich by the world's standards. The poorest among us, whoever you may be, you are rich by the world's standards. So follower of Christ. What is your heart attitude and what are you doing with that which God has entrusted to you? As the Holy Spirit prompts, then be obedient, not just this morning, but in the days ahead. Now, in this room, there may be one, two, three, or even a dozen who do not yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so this message today has been James' words to pagan rich. And you would say, well, I'm not rich. But hear the words of James as he says, there is a day of judgment coming. Have you prepared not only for today, but for eternity? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If not, then this is the day of salvation. The Spirit of God is speaking, wooing, calling, drawing you this morning. And when we stand in a minute and begin to sing, I invite you to leave your seat, make your way to the front, place your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word and to share with you. Now, Father, I can't know what you're doing in the hearts of people in this room, but I believe with all my heart that there is at least one who needs Jesus. And I pray right now that you will draw that one irresistibly to yourself this morning, that he or she might come to know Jesus today. And then, Father, for all of us who already have made that decision, all of us who know you already, Father, as you speak to our hearts about what we do with what we have, I pray that we'll be sensitive, that we will have things in right perspective, and that we'll be obedient to you in the practice of godly stewardship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing. 
As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sundays at one of our worship services at 8.30 or 11 a.m. and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your faith in God.